Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights. Walk on over to Walters for Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Puck drops at 8 p.m. on Sunday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the Rangers will have the go-ahead run at first base with one out in the last of the sixth inning for Jonah Heim, who's looking into the Nationals' dugout, and he is seeing Davey Martinez emerge from that dugout to make a pitching change. So Paolo Espino pitches very, very well over the first five innings. He gives up a homer in the sixth inning, surrendering a very slim lead. He'll depart a 1-1 game. Here's the pitch. Bell swings, hits it toward the middle, and on through in the right center, a base hit. Soto around third, coming home, up with the ball, Garcia, but this time, no chance to make a throw to the plate. He gets it into second base. Josh Bell grounds one through the infield, past the diving Semyon. Josh Bell with another hit, his third of the game. A triple, a double, a single now. The Nationals take the lead 2-1. to one. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, June 25th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Make it three wins in four games for the Nats. Make it four impressive outings for Nats starting pitchers over the Nats' last five games. A 2-1 win at the Texas Rangers on Friday night in game one of a three-game series. And in the first game for the Nats at the Rangers since June 2005, not since the first season of the Nats in D.C., had we had the Nats playing a game at the Rangers. Another impressive outing for our guy, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino. An impressive game for Texas native Josh Bell. Another big hit for Luis Garcia. Good game for the Nats bullpen. Nats get to 26-47 and 47 on the season. Mark, Friday night was a nice night for the Nats. It almost was a disastrous night, Al, the way the ninth inning in particular went. Tanner Rainey had to pitch his way out of it. But thankfully, he did because there was so much else good going on in this game that it really would have been a shame to have that go to waste. Paolo Espino, outstanding. And look, we wondered all along. He's pitching in low leverage spots. Uh, Will that translate if he gets to pitch in more situations of consequence? Well, yes, it is translating. He has been outstanding and doing everything they could ask of him. And the lineup made the most of what opportunities they had. There were chances they could have done more, but they got the hits when they needed them, especially Juan Soto and Josh Bell in the eighth to give them the go-ahead run. The rest of the bullpen was really good. This was a solid win all around. It was nice to see them rewarded for it with actually getting the W and not uh, blowing it there at the end. 
The website is natschatpodcast.square.site. If you have not gotten the Secret Weapon t-shirt by now, I don't know what to tell you, man, okay? The Secret Weapon is rolling, and he's rolling in a way that you could argue he never rolled last season when he rolled quite well. And to what you just raised, you know, the phenomenon that was going on of him not being used in anything other than these extreme low-leverage spots— Paolo right now is making Davey Martinez look bad, you know, and, and Davey probably doesn't mind it, but Paolo right now is making Davey look awfully foolish for having relegated Paolo to pitching in nothing but, you know, blowout games. Paolo Espino, who at least for now is part of this Nats rotation, I guess we'll see if this continues, another good outing here on Friday night. Paolo in this 2-1 win at the Rangers, one run in five and a third innings. He gave up six hits, a homer and five singles, three strikeouts, versus one walk, 89 pitches, 58 strikes versus 31 balls. The Paolo Espino ERA for the season is down to 221. That's 221 over 40 and two-thirds innings over 23 games, including three starts. I loved what he said to you guys after the game. He's not concerned about the ERA right now. He'd like it to be around two at the end of the season. Maybe one, he said. Here's Paolo getting chesty, flirting with the notion of an ERA of one by the end of the season. I love it. Well, and it's perfect because the way he says it, if anybody else says that, you're like, oh my God, who is this guy? How cocky are you? The way he says it, it's so genuine. He's just so genuinely excited to have this opportunity and to pitch as well as he is that he can't help himself. He just says it. There's no cockiness in it at all. And I love it. It was such a great quote. Uh, I'm glad you picked up on it. What impressed me so much in this game is, look, we know he doesn't overpower you. Okay. That's not his game. But he was freezing some really good hitters with fastballs that don't even hit 90 miles an hour. And it's such a brilliant job of pitching. He's getting ahead sometimes with breaking balls. He's throwing a steady stream of curveball, slider, changeup, whatever it is. And everybody knows the scouting report on him that that's what he's probably going to go to for outs. And then he sneaks in a fastball with two strikes. He got Nathaniel Loud looking at 88 miles an hour right over the plate. He got Marcus Simeon, a really good hitter, looking at 89 over the plate the third time that he faced him in the game. That is such smart pitching. And yeah, the radar gun may say 88, 89. But when you're up there looking for something in the 70s, all of a sudden that looks like 95 and you're caught literally frozen, unable to take the bat off your shoulder. It's such a great evidence of how there are many different ways to be a successful pitcher. You don't have to just have power. You don't have to blow guys away. If you're smart enough about it, if you have good command, if you sequence everything well, you can be really effective even with a fastball that doesn't reach 90 miles an hour. Paolo Espino entering Friday had an average four-seam fastball velocity this season per Sports Info Solutions of 89 miles per hour. That is underwhelming, man. And, you know, we talked about this with Steven Strasburg recently with how down his velocity was for that return game uh, at the major league level. And we were like, boy, it's hard to make a living pitching at 90-92. Paolo's making a living pitching at 89. Paolo's making a living pitching in the 80s. So you're right. I mean, it can be done. Now, it's not advisable. It's not something you recommend. But if you can do it, more power to you. I mean, you know, this is like a Jamie Moyer type thing where an older guy, you learn how to pitch. And so you don't have to throw 98 to get out. It's really fun to watch. It's impressive. I mean, the Paolo Espino story by now, I think most people are familiar with it. But, you know, there are bits and pieces to the Paolo legend 
that I feel like get overlooked. So, you know, we've talked about how he was taken by Cleveland in the 10th round of the 06 draft. Do you know he was signed by the Nats to a minor league contract in 2014? I feel like that gets overlooked. This latest go-round for him with the Nats, which started in 2019, and then his first season was 2020, he was with the organization in 2014. He has bounced all over the place in his career. And so the fact that he is so humble and like he can talk about having a 1 ERA in that sort of happy-go-lucky way, you understand it. This is such a unique baseball story, this Paolo Espino story. It's one of the reasons why we've really taken to him on this podcast. He's being rewarded for perseverance in a way that very few guys are able to do. I mean, look, you spend that much time bouncing around the minor league, going from organization to organization. You spend most of your seasons at AAA, never get the call up. And, you know, I've talked to him about it. Like, there are times that you're thinking it may never happen. And he just never gave up on it. It required a lot of sacrifices from his wife and their family for him to leave them every year to keep chasing this dream. But he is being rewarded for it. And that's why everybody feels so good for him that he has made the most of this. And the man never once complains about anything. Look, if you were that effective, especially on this pitching staff, and all you were coming in to face hitters is in the eighth and ninth innings when trailing by seven, eight runs, it would be very easy to gripe about that. And he never did that once, not publicly, not privately. He appreciated every opportunity he got. He forced the issue, pitching as well as he did, and because of injuries and other things to the rotation, they said, all right, you know what? We need him in the rotation right now. Let's put him in there. And he has just seized this opportunity. And yeah, until they get to a point where they clearly have five better options, and they're certainly not there right now, he's here to stay. And it's just a breath of fresh air to see a guy have success like this. I will say Dane Dunning for the Rangers, a former Nats prospect himself, kind of pitched the same way. I think he's lost a lot of velocity over the years. He was throwing about 90 as well and having some success doing it. So as a former crafty right-hander myself, not nearly at this level, of course, I always, always have a soft spot for those kind of guys because there aren't many of them in baseball. And very often they're not given the opportunity because we pigeonhole them and say, oh, if you're right-handed and you throw less than 90 miles an hour, you must not be any good. If you're left-handed, we'll give you a shot until you're 47 years old. But if you're right-handed, you're not going to get the chance. So I love to see them get that opportunity and certainly make the most of it. You think too about all of the different things that have had to happen for Paolo to get this opportunity here this season, even with him pitching well. If Steven Strasburg is healthy, Paolo's not in the rotation. If Joe Ross is healthy, Paolo's not in the rotation. If Anibal Sanchez doesn't have this cervical neck impingement, Paolo's not in the rotation. There are all of these dominoes that have fallen to set this up here for Paolo to get this shot. If any of those other guys are healthy, Paolo's still in the bullpen, probably still being buried in the bullpen, pitching at the ends of blowouts. And, and like he's not allowed to do this. And it's just, it's remarkable to me how that can play out. Now, you know, we saw this last year. And then as time went on, you know, Paolo's numbers did uh, worsen. So we'll see if that happens again this season. But this guy, he's not supposed to be doing any of this anyway. So, like, just, you know, ride it out for a second consecutive season here. You have this Paolo Espino magical ride that we're all a part of. And uh, I give the guy a lot of credit. So, really good job by Paolo Espino on Friday night. Really good job by Josh Bell on Friday night. Boy, was Bell good in this game. So he's from the Dallas area, and it's always kind of funny how a guy playing in his hometown or near his hometown can sort of rise to that occasion. But Bell on Friday night, three for four with a triple, a double, and an RBI single. And these were impressive hits. Top of the first, a two-out triple off the right field wall. 
Uh, he, in an ad's one run sixth, a one out double to center field on an 0 2 pitch. And then Bell, in an ad's one run eighth, an RBI single uh, off the glove of the Rangers reliever Dennis Santana and up the middle for a 2-1 Nats lead. This was a game in which you got some production. You also had some rough moments. We'll get to those. But you got some production from Bell and Nelson Cruz and Juan Soto. But no one was more productive than Bell. He looked really good on Friday night. Yeah, he was the best of them. Uh, It's funny. He said that triple, he didn't actually think he'd hit it that well. And you sort of saw him out of the box pause like he just thought it was going to be a flyout. Next thing you know, it's bouncing off the wall and caroming back. It's like, well, I better get on my horses and try for three here. Uh, And he made it in without a whole lot of trouble. The double really well struck. And then obviously the single in that situation coming through in the clutch for them. It's something that they as a team have often struggled with. He's been Aside from a little stretch there a month ago or so when it started to cool off, he has really been their most consistent producer, not just in all situations, but in, you know, RBI situations. And he's on a nice little run right now. He's 11 for his last 27, batting average back up to 302 OPS, kind of quietly, it's back up to 873. And uh, I know people noticed it because they all commented the other day when I put the numbers out there. The first round of all-star balloting came out and he's ninth among first basemen in the National League. I'm not saying he should be the starter. I'm not even saying he is an all-star for sure. He's better than the ninth best first baseman in the National League. Uh, Fans need to get on that one and and get him up the, the list a little bit because that's not a good reflection of just how good he has been this year. Well, you certainly could argue he's the most deserving all-star on the Nats this season. I mean, there's a case to be made for that for sure. Um, He's been good. He's been really good. And um, he's either going to get himself a nice fat contract from the Nats or the Nats are going to get themselves a decent prospect or two for Josh Bell come August 2nd. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Here's the pitch. Swinging a drive to right center field. Calhoun chasing. This one's going to get down. It's way back there, and it bounces over the wall into the Rangers' bullpen for a double. 
Bell will score. The Nationals take the lead one to nothing as Luis Garcia comes through with a clutch two-out hit. Another positive, and then we'll get to some of the nits to pick here. Luis Garcia, another good hit uh, for him in this game on Friday night. Garcia in that's one run sixth, a two-out RBI ground rule double off the right center field warning track to put the Nats up one nothing. Uh, Luis Garcia continues to hit, and I think what is impressive about this is that since he got called back up to the majors on June 1st, there's been a steadiness to him as a batter. Fielder, different conversation. We get that. But you haven't seen him like get a bunch of hits and then go over for like five games. Like It feels like every game, he's got a hit or two, maybe three. Every series, we're talking about Luis Garcia having done well. Uh, his OPS for the season at the major league level is up to 802. And I saw you note this on Twitter. Look, Juan Soto with runners in scoring position this season, not good. Blew it in another spot on Friday night with that double play. Luis Garcia with runners in scoring position, at least so far here, doing a nice job. He's had some really nice hits here, key hits for the Nets. That's what stands out to me. He's not just compiling hits in meaningless situations. He is coming through in big spots. He's coming through with two outs. He's coming through with two strikes. And with runners in scoring position, he's eight for 23. And Juan Soto is seven for 55. If I had told you that in game 73 of the season, Luis Garcia, who we know didn't make the opening day roster, would have more hits with runners in scoring position than Juan Soto, you never would have believed that. It's a tribute to Garcia, what he's doing, but it also tells you where Soto's real issue has been this year, and not just for a short time, but really over the entirety of the season to date. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to how fluky hitting with runners in scoring position can be, and it's a kind of thing that can go one way for a chunk of the season and then just flip, and that's just how it ends up being. But of course, it is what it is. Like You have the reality of Garcia in big spots has been good. Soto in big spots has not been good. And uh, it's been very encouraging to see Luis Garcia hit as he has hit. You know, it's funny with the Nats. They're still not hitting homers, but they are getting a lot of doubles. Like The the extra base hits are starting to pile up here. And of course, we had a triple on Friday night from Josh Bell. His second triple of the season, by the way. Remember, he had that stand-up triple not long ago. But the Nats are getting some extra base hits, so it's nice to see that here. The bats are picking up, at least in that regard. All right, so a few nits to pick from this game. So first of all, one of the guys who hit a double on Friday night was Nelson Cruz. He went one for four with a double, had a couple of strikeouts. Top of the fourth, a leadoff double to left field. But he got thrown out at home. He got thrown out, out at home by a mile. Cruz off second, trying to distract the pitcher. The 1-2. Swinging a shot into right center field. That's a base hit between Seeger and Simeon. Cruz, a late break, is trying to score. Garcia comes up firing on the fly, and Cruz is out by a lot. This happened for the second out of the inning. Went down on a K-Bert Ruiz one-out single into right center field. We have talked about this. The Nats have had this annoying pension of guys getting thrown out at home plate this season. This is now 11 times that a Nats base runner in this 2022 season has been thrown out at home plate. And it feels like more often than not, the guy is out by quite a bit. And Nelson Cruz was out by quite a bit in this moment. What was said about what happened on this play after the game? Davey Martinez, I'm just sharing with you what he said. He called it a, quote, great send by DeSarcina. His rationale was that the location of where the ball was hit, the center fielder, uh, Adolis Garcia, had a long way to go to get to it. And, you know, that may be true. Garcia's also got a really good arm, but more than anything, the issue I had with it, and I was watching from the rooftop, essentially, here at this ballpark, which 
just go off on a quick tangent. We always talk about Nats Park having the highest press box in the majors. I found the new highest one in the majors here at Globe Life Field. We are way up high here. But that did allow me to have a very nice wide angle view of this play. And the problem with it was, and it's not even his fault necessarily, but the problem is that Nelson Cruz froze on contact, waiting to see if the ball was going to fall in for a hit or not. Once he realized it would, he took off. By the time he got to third base, I'm thinking there's no reason to send him. He's not going to score. Dees Arcina waves him around and he was thrown out very comfortably by Adolis Garcia. So you can say that based on the hit location and where Garcia was positioned and how far he had to run, that that's a good send. But to me, a third base coach can't just base it on that. You have to base it on how your runner reacts and what kind of position he's in when it finally comes time to make that call, put up the stop sign or wave him around. If this was a one-time thing, we would say, okay, you shrug it off. This is the 11th time the Nationals have made an out at home plate. Now, those aren't all wave arounds by uh, DeSarcina, but they've made 11 outs at the plate this year, which leads the National League. And a good number of them have been on very questionable sends by DeSarcina. And I would say this one was, if not at the top of the list, pretty close to the top of the list for most questionable among them all. It's also, of course, who the runner is. Uh, Nelson Cruz, age 41 season, bigger guy, carries a lot of weight. He's listed as being 6'2", 230. He has dealt with an ankle issue this season. He's dealt with some other issues this season. So, yeah, I don't know. I would think that that maybe should factor into things. I mean, you know, I know that a guy like Gary DeSarcina has been around, okay? I'm not trying to say that, like, he's ignorant. I'm sure he puts a lot of thought and time and preparation into this stuff, but... The results at this point are not good. And for all of the grief that Bob Sendley Henley got for years, I mean, you're now seeing on, on, on social media people pining for the return of Bob Sendley Henley as a third base coach with what's happening here with Gary DeSarcina. And I brought this up before, but I think it's worth repeating the numbers back up. The Nats having been one of the worst base running teams in the majors this season. The Nats entering Friday 29th out of 30 major league teams and Fangraph's base running runs metric, which is basically this all-encompassing base running metric. By the way, the Rangers were number one, but like quantifiably, the Nats have not been good on the base paths this season. And again, I go back to how often are guys out by a lot at home plate and in other instances? I think that's the other thing too. If it's close, you can maybe sort of kind of argue things. It, I mean, Nelson Cruz was out by like 10 feet, it felt like, on that play. And it just did not feel good if you're a Nats fan. And like you said, I had the same thought watching this game. Doesn't it feel like it's always the wrong guys? It's Cruz, it's Bell, it's Yadiel Hernandez. It's not Victor Robles, although I guess maybe because he's not on base that much to begin with. But it's not Cesar Hernandez or uh, even, you know, Luis Garcia, even Soto that much. It's not the guys you would think have the speed to maybe beat a throw to the plate. It's the big lumbering guys and especially the 41-year-old DH I don't know what else to say. It's been noticeable. Obviously, everybody sees it happening. Maybe Davey is just trying to, you know, not throw his third base coach under the bus, especially the fact that he's in his first year after they made some changes there, given previous issues. But it's been tough to watch. And I think the unfortunate thing is it's not getting better. It's like if this had gone on early in the year and you're starting to see some adjustments to it, you, you could live with it. But we're seeing the same thing. It's also, you can have a lot of runners thrown out at the plate, but if you're also scoring a lot of runners being waved around, you say, okay, then, you know, kind of balances out. But they're not doing that either. I don't feel like 
we've had a lot of times like, oh, that was an aggressive send. Oh, and it worked. You know, it happens every once in a while, but there have been way more, ooh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, he's out by a mile than the opposite. And it's a problem. It's a problem. Something needs to improve there. It probably involves a lot of different things, involves the base runners actually reading the ball better, involves De Sarcina having a better sense of when to send and when not to send. You know, Davey talks about defensively. We can't keep giving teams extra outs. You can't keep giving teams extra outs on the bases either. Who knows what would have happened in that inning, but there was a ground out to second was the, the play after that. If he's on second base, maybe there's a chance he scores because only one out. We'll never know. Give your team the best chance to score runs and don't just give away outs like that on the bases. Yeah, and that's the thing. The Nats have been a disappointing team offensively. The Nats are a bad team in terms of pitching. The Nats are a bad team with defense, and the Nats are a bad team with base running. Like, there's no wonder that the Nats have the second worst record in the National League and the worst run differential in the majors. But at least defense and base running, you feel like, are things that you can control. You know, so like if you're bad in other areas, defense and base running can make up for those deficiencies. The Nats are deficient in defense and base running, and so that makes things all the worse. Uh, Yeah, it's something that's got to get fixed. One more thing, though. So the Nats, you know, they made all these changes to the coaching staff, right? So De Sarcina, is that a Davey Martinez hire? Is that a Mike Rizzo hire? Like, if it ends up that De Sarcina as a third base coach doesn't work out, whose fault is that? I think it's a combination. Um, I think those moves were made by both of them working in, in unison on it. They did want somebody with prior experience there, which he had with the Mets. They also, let's remember, that's not his only job. He's also there, along with Tim Bogart, their infield coaches. That was something that they wanted to get better at. He spends a lot of time working with Luis Garcia and others out there. You can decide if you think that the results have merited it or not. But the two big things that they did in adjusting the coaching staff, I thought, over the winter was at least the, the the plan going into it was get an experienced third base coach and get someone else who can coach outfielders and base running. And that's Eric Young Jr., who is the first base coach. So we talk about base running. That's also his responsibility, not the wave arounds, but the teaching guys how to read off the bat and get good leads and jumps and all that kind of stuff, in addition to coaching the outfielders. So it hasn't been good. There's no way around that. When you have a team this bad, there are a lot of reasons for it. It's on the players. It's also on the coaches at times. Yeah, I mean, if you, <laughs> if your duties are are base running and infield defense, uh, that's not a great resume, at least so far this season. But we'll see. Uh, Nats bullpen on Friday night. Overall results ended up being really good. Three relievers combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings. We saw the Nats A bullpen on display. Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan, and Tanner Rainey. Edwards Jr. getting the job done again. One and two-thirds scoreless innings. His ERA for the season down to 263. Kyle Finnegan, I thought, looked really good. Scoreless bottom of the eighth, two strikeouts. He was throwing some flames out there, man. That sinker, at least if you go by the date on MLB.com, topped out at 99 miles per hour. It was great to see that. And then we had the adventures of Tanner Rainey in the bottom of the ninth inning. So ultimately, a scoreless bottom of the ninth, but uh, he issued a one-out walk. He then gave up a one-out single. This is a few weeks now where Rainey is not quite right. You know, the results aren't always bad, but the process gives you agita watching him. Like, he'll put guys on base, and it just it doesn't seem great right now uh, with Rainey. But ultimately, the bullpen did get the job done. So there's such a pattern here that you see with Rainey. When it goes bad, it almost always includes the following. A walk 
of a guy near the bottom of the lineup that gets the rally started. That's exactly what happened here. He walks the number eight hitter, who's a pinch hitter in this case, with one out. Davey set it up so that Finnegan was facing the heart of the lineup in the eighth. And in theory, Rainey should just get seven, eight, nine in the ninth and be done with it. And instead, you walk the eight hitter, then a single to the nine hitter, and now you're in trouble. Now you got to face the top of the lineup. Now, again, he did it. He got two pretty good hitters, Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager. But here's the difference. And here's what I think troubles me the most right now about Rainey and why I really like Finnegan so much, what he's done this year. Forget what the numbers are. Let's just look at how they get their outs. Rainey is getting outs on contact. You could look at him and say, oh boy, he's got great stuff. He is not getting good hitters out with strikeouts. Finnegan, on the other hand, is getting outs with strikeouts. He blew away Adolis Garcia 99 miles an hour for the first strikeout of the inning. And then with the tying run in scoring position after the single and a stolen base, I loved this sequence to Jonah Heim. He goes 97 up in the zone for strike one, then a splitter, the first one he threw the entire inning, down in the zone for strike two, and then painted the corner with 97 and back to the fastball for strike three. You don't see Rainey doing that. They, he may have good stuff, but it seems like when he gets out, it's from contact and not from strikeouts. And uh, Finnegan is blowing away middle of the order hitters. And that's why right now I like him better than Rainey. Yeah, it's tough because each guy can look bad and neither guy is so consistently great to where you feel great about the guy. But each guy has so much talent that you want to see more. And obviously on this team, it's like the beggar can't be the chooser. So, you you know, you can't just be like, well, forget him. Like, no, you can't forget him because you don't have many people uh, to be going at here right now. But, you know, with Rainey, I think what really is troublesome are the walks. He's averaging three and a half walks per nine innings. That's not what you are supposed to get from your closer. Your closer is supposed to come in, throw gas, get strikeouts, and get out. And the last thing you want from an ace reliever is a guy who walks a lot of people and Rainey does too much of that. And not that it matters so much who the ninth inning guy, who the eighth inning guy is. And if Davey is having Finnegan face the heart of the order over Rainey, then I think that tells you a lot. But I do wonder if at some point we maybe do see that flip and Finnegan becomes the end of game guy uh, as opposed to Rainey, to whatever extent that matters. It's tough. You know, I know we've talked too about, well, should either guy be utilized as a trade ship come August 2nd or do you hold on to the guy? And I don't think either guy is great enough to where you say you have to keep the guy. I think if one guy gets hot, I don't think you should feel shy about trading him. I'm not saying you got to give him away. And, and if you, you don't feel comfortable doing it this year, that's fine. But, you know, each guy, it's like there's talent and there's quality, but you also see hiccups and you, you don't ever have that like two or three month stretch of just excellence. It's not like that with either guy. It's like two or three good outings and then a bad one. And, and that's kind of how it's been for each guy this season. Yeah, I think if things continue the way they've gone and you have, you know, your good moments, but a couple of shaky ones as well, I think you listen to offers and you see what is being put out there for them. And if it's something you say, boy, this is something that could actually help us. These are some pretty good chips for us. Then, yeah, I think you do have to be open to uh, to those moves, but you don't have to make the moves. Whereas, you know, I hate to say it, but Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz, barring a contract extension, which doesn't seem like it's really in the works in Bell's case. I think that's kind of like you take the best offer you get for those guys because there's no not a lot of reason to hang on to them as they are set to become free agents. In the cases of Finnegan and Rainey, they have value to you over several more years, but that also maybe makes them more valuable to prospective teams that might acquire them. So you listen. And if it's something that you deem is worth it, then you make the move. If not, 
no pressure. You don't have to do it. You can always hang on to them. Look again in the offseason. Look again next year at the trade deadline. I don't think that's the wrong approach to take if things continue the way they have been. It's like a stock with Finnegan and Rainey. When the stock soars, that's when you trade them. So, and you don't have to do it now. You could do it next year. You could do it in two years. But I think if either guy gets hot, that's the reason to trade him, not to keep him, because he probably isn't going to stay at that level. Most of these relievers don't stay at that level. And then with Edwards, I mean, he right now, it's amazing with him. He very much has emerged to me as a trade ship. Like they should be able to get something for this guy who they signed to a minor league contract back in February. It's pretty remarkable what they continue to get from him. He's become so reliable. You don't even think twice anymore when he comes into the game. I mean, what he did on Friday night, this was a one-plus inning outing, one and two-thirds scoreless, and you don't bat an eye. You're like, yeah, that's kind of what he is right now. He's that good. Yeah, it's the fact that he's giving them multiple innings on a regular basis and being effective doing it, I think, is very impressive. It was 25 pitches to get five outs. Now, again, as we mentioned the other day, turns out, They do have control of him for one more year, so that adds potentially to his value. If you are another team uh, wanting to acquire him, you're not just getting him for two months. You might get him for another season. So we'll see. I'm really interested to see what are the offers for pitchers like this. Some years, there's a whole lot of demand. You, You get a team like the Nationals were in 2019 that have everything else, but they desperately need relievers having good seasons. You can get something for them. If, on the other hand, there isn't that much of a market for it, or if there are a lot of relievers available, there may be too many of them, and maybe you don't get a lot. So I'm I'm really curious to see what, if anything, Mike Rizzo can get from other clubs for any of these guys, or maybe even more than one of them. Roaming Rooster, the best fried chicken sandwich in the DMV, is expanding. You've already seen our location by Section 238 at Nationals Park, But now we have recently opened up locations in Pike and Rose in Maryland, and in Virginia, we now have Burke and Chantilly. Locations under construction include Gaithersburg, Crofton, and Manassas. The first two listeners to email NatsChatPodcast at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com will receive gift cards at the new Roaming Rooster locations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Oh, 
this crowd fired up. It's loud with the roof closed. Rainey sets. 3-1 pitch. Hit in the air to center field. Robles backing up. Has a play. He waits. It comes down. He makes the one-handed catch. And a curly W's in the books. All right. Also on Friday for the Nats was a Steven Strasburg update. And I know there probably are some people listening who don't even have an appetite at this point for Steven Strasburg updates because it's like we're starting from uh, level zero, it feels like, with what happened with him. But it is significant where we're at with Steven Strasburg. So much as was the case a few months ago as he was coming back from the thoracic outlet syndrome, you know, there is a sort of deliberate, slow, methodical pace to this latest recovery here. We're not getting a lot of updates just to reset the timeline, Strasburg made his lone major league start this season on June 9th. He went back on an injured list, this being the 15-day injured list on June 14th, retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs. And we didn't really get a true significant update on where he's at until Friday, which was June 24th. But I know that Mike Rizzo spoke to you. Uh, where are we right now with Steven Strasburg? There's not a lot there, unfortunately, but I think the reason that basically Rizzo is saying that they have not finalized a course of action here is that they know he really can't do anything for a little while anyways. He's got to let the stress reaction in the ribs heal before he can even attempt to do anything. So I guess they're saying, you know, I'll take it to mean it's not like they've found anything else in these follow-up exams. Uh, I don't think anybody is saying, well, he needs surgery again anytime soon. Let's let this injury heal and then devise a plan to try to ease him back along and see where that takes us and whenever that might be. So on one hand, maybe that's a little encouraging. I don't know. But, you know, the takeaway I I have from all this is he's not pitching anytime soon. I, you know, I don't want to say he's out for the year, although I think we can probably read between the lines and realize just how much time that would take and what the effort would have to be to get him back out there this season. They're certainly not in a rush at the moment to devise a rehab plan because they know first and foremost, he's got to heal up and let this thing get better before they can even take that next step. So not great news, obviously, but I guess at the moment there isn't a definitive, well, this happened and we need to do this and therefore he's out for this amount of time. So I haven't brought this up previously just because, again, I don't know that there's a lot of appetite these days for Strasburg talk, but I want to bring this up now. So John Heyman, the MLB insider, writes for the New York Post, is known to be tight with Strasburg's agent, Scott Boris. Heyman, in a report on June 16th, said, Nationals fear Steven Strasburg seeing thoracic outlet syndrome recurrence, which that right there might slam the door shut on his career if he had another occurrence here of thoracic outlet syndrome. Have you heard that, that there is a fear that he has TOS again? Or have you not heard that? And is that just something Heyman had and nobody else has brought up? Well, so here's the only thing with it. And I I don't know enough about how how this particular injury works. But my sense is that it's not necessarily that it's not like, oh, well, he tore his ligament again, so we have to go through that surgery again. I think it's a, it's a condition more than anything that they decided to give him the surgery to try to heal it last time. And what the Nationals have said is that the stress reaction he uh, had occurred to him is in all likelihood connected to or related to thoracic outlet syndrome that he had last year. I don't know that that's the kind of thing that like you're just cured from it. It's like you have the syndrome, and then you have to decide what you're going to do about it. So when Heyman reports that, 
I don't know that that's like a new injury or that that requires the same surgery that he had last year. I think it might just be him interpreting this in a different way than we are, which is, yeah, what he's dealing with is related to what he's been dealing with all along. And now they have to figure out how they're going to deal with that. But it's a complicated thing, as we've talked about. This is not the same kind of clear-cut Tommy John issue or torn ACL or even, you know, labrum rotator cuff. It's a more nebulous thing that I don't know that you ever totally get over it. You have this condition in you from the repetitive use over all the years. And doctors have tried to come up with some ways of alleviating it. But it's not necessarily a cure for it. And it's not like, oh, we're putting a new ligament in your elbow and now you're good to go again until that one tears. So I think it might just be a, a misinterpretation or different interpretation of what we're already seeing and hearing ourselves. Yeah. It's just when Heyman has something on someone like Strasburg, I always say to myself, that's probably coming from Boris. And so if Strasburg's agent is giving that to Heyman, then you're like, well, hmm, if Boris is saying that, then Boris, you would think Boris would know what's going on, right? So, you know, you just wonder on something like that. So, We'll see. But bottom line, uh, don't expect Steven Strasburg to be pitching for the Nats anytime soon. I mean, it's terrible that this is where we're at, but this is where we're at. The other thing from Rizzo is that we got some updates on some of the Nats' top prospects. There are some injuries right now. And, you know, it's tricky with minor leaguers because you don't always know exactly what's going on with guys from injury standpoints. Brady House wasn't in the lineup for a while. We were getting questions on him. There were no updates. So we didn't know why he wasn't playing. Uh, Cole Henry, same thing. Now we have a better sense on what's happening here. Cole Henry, Brady House, and uh, also Cade Cavalli. And it sounds like nothing serious for any of these guys. Yeah, that's what the word is from Mike Rizzo. You know, take it for what you want, and we'll see when they're back playing again and how they look. In uh, Let's do the pitchers first. In Cole Henry's case, had some shoulder soreness, so they shut him down. Now, what Rizzo is saying, and I do think this is there's a larger discussion here, and I think it's interesting. He is saying that organizationally, they have, are trying to make an effort to give all of their young pitchers a break at some point during the season. The idea being they know they're only good for X number of starts, X number of innings. And in the past, maybe they would have had them pitch all the way through and then shut them down at the end. And now they've kind of shifted their mindset on this and saying, we're going to look for some opportunities to give them a break along the way. The idea being that we can then bring them back and they can actually finish the season all the way through September. That may be better for their development ultimately as big leaguers to be used to pitching in September uh, and have that kind of workload. So in Henry's case, they basically decided let's do that right now with him because he's dealing with you know what sounds like a fairly minor shoulder soreness thing. In Cavalli's case, he hasn't reported any physical problems. So they also are just saying, hey, you're at about that point in the season. Let's give him a break as well. The idea would be they're both back within a couple of weeks. And I think you can also interpret that as Rizzo kind of saying, we want to save up some innings from them because we think they're going to pitch innings in the big leagues before the season is over. So maybe that's a sign that he intends to have both guys up here before it's all said and done. Now, in Henry's case, we were curious, could that happen August, September? In Cavalli's case, we were thinking we might be pretty close to him coming up. That might push that back. If they're shutting him down for a little bit right now, then I don't think he's on the verge of being called up. So maybe we are looking later in the summer before that happens. But, you know, I sort of interpreted it as we know they only have X number of innings this year. We want to make sure they have enough left when the time comes to call them up. So maybe that's in some ways 
you know, a good sign. Brady House uh, had back stiffness. Didn't sound like there's anything serious, but they said, you know what? Take a break, too. You're in your first professional season. Uh, there's no reason to overextend this. Let him take seven to t- 10 days off and then put him back out there. We'll see. He's played pretty well in Fredericksburg. But again, he's 19 years old, never played a full minor league season before. So they're going to be careful with all these guys. Yeah. So obviously, the pitcher situations bring you back to 2012 with Steven Strasburg. And the whole thing about the shutdown ruining the Nats in 12 has always been overrated. We've talked about that. Strasburg was struggling as the year went on, and the guy who replaced him ended up giving the Nats their only quality start in that series against St. Louis, Ross Detweiler. But I think a valid criticism of the Nats that year could be, well, you could have just started Steven Strasburg's season later if you were that concerned about having to shut him down. Remember, the Nats did go into that season with visions of contending. Davey Johnson famously in spring training talked about, I forget how he said it, but it was like, we're the team to beat or we're going to win the National League East or whatever it was that he said. So you could have started Strasburg's season later in order to have had him for later in that season. And, and maybe that is a takeaway that Mike Rizzo has from that year of, hey, it's okay to give a guy a break or start a guy's season later so that you have him later in the season. So you know, I think that is a reasonable approach uh, to have right there. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nats chat podcast if you don't already do that. And if you're listening to the Nats chat podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. Uh, Those are always very much appreciated and they help to make the podcast successful. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. We continue to welcome your memories, your tributes to Ryan Zimmerman, and we leave you with this voice memo now from Derek in Springfield, Virginia on employee number 11. I would go with Father's Day, uh, the walk-off against the Yankees. By far, be it. The Yankee fans are obnoxious as hell. That whole game. And one loud crack of the bat, and it died down. It was the best uh, memory I've had besides winning the World Series. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.